Today's episode of The Rewatchables on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by Spotify, where they have the best podcast listening experience imaginable. They just added a daily sports podcast. You go on Spotify and you search for daily sports or you'll just see it on your app. It gives you little snippets of different sports podcasts that The Ringer did, that other people did, mixed with uh, some music. So interesting strategy there, and it's going to be cool, I think. Daily Sports, go look for it now. Coming up, I'm going to put it right on the line. There's been a lot of complaints already. Fooling around on the course, bad language, smoking grass, poor caddying. <laughs> Caddyshack is next. <laughs> Some people belong to the Bushwood Country Club for the fine cuisine. This steak still has marks where the jockey was hitting it. Some belong for the stimulating conversation. I was a, I might, I think I will. And some just don't belong. You think I'd join this crummy snobatorium? Caddyshack, starring Chevy Chase, Rodney Dangerfield, Ted Knight, and Bill Murray as Carl. It's the snobs against the slobs in Caddyshack, rated R. All right, Sean Fantasy is here. My name is Bill Simmons. We've been circling this movie for a long time. I once wrote, maybe 18 years ago, that if I could only take a DVD of one movie on a desert island, it would be Caddyshack. It is now 40 years old, summer 1980, Blues Brothers, Airplane, and Caddyshack all released six weeks apart. Three seminal comedies that were watched and rewatched and rewatched and rewatched and rewatched. So we want to do one of these. We decided to do Caddyshack. What does Caddyshack mean to you, Sean Fennessy? Oh, man. It's my favorite of those three you just named, for sure. I think it's the pinnacle of the post-Animal House American National Lampoon comedy. I think it's the number one Voltron of comedy geniuses coming together for something that is not a great film and is an amazing movie. And there's a big distinction there, which I'm sure we'll talk about. I'm shocked after 40 years, how goddamn entertaining it still is. <laughs> it's so good. There's so many scenes. It does a drag. I like all of it. I laugh. I love Ted Knight in this movie as much as I've liked any movie character maybe ever. Um, all right. So I wrote down a couple things because it's hard to just dive into Caddyshack. Um, first There's thing, so many things for us to talk about. It's a crazy experience. Big picture wise. So you got Bill Murray. You have Chevy Chase, you have Ted Knight, you have Rodney Dangerfield. You have four guys from the last 50 years who, for whatever reason, stood out in some way from a comedy standpoint. You could argue all four of them peaked as comedic performers in this movie. Ah, who? That's a, okay. So definitely Chevy for me. This to me is Chevy at his best. This is my favorite Chevy thing. We talked about Fletch earlier this year. I think he's incredible. This is basically Rodney Dangerfield's first movie. Yeah. And probably his most iconic. Maybe Back to School is neck and neck with it, but... Back to School, he's basically doing that guy with a son. Yeah. So I, I feel like this is a little more groundbreaking for him. T Ted Knight, his best movie. Mary Tyler Moore is probably the pinnacle of, of, of Ted Knight, but... This is his best movie. Bill Murray is where I, I trip on it a little bit. The, yeah. th this is the funniest Bill Murray stuff, but is it the best Bill Murray movie? Is it the best Bill Murray experience? Is it better than Ghostbusters, Groundhog Day? What about Bob? I don't know. Stripes, you know, Stripes comes a year later. Probably not the, the peak of Bill for me. No, I think you could even say Stripes a year later. He's better in 
I think if you're just going pound for pound, PER, laugh moments for a movie, it probably is. So we'll go three and a half. Just taking them one at a time. Chevy, who we talked about on the Fletch pod. Um, and this movie is basically the audition tape for Fletch. He just takes three Ty Webb scenes and he's like, hey, what? It, see this scene where Lacey Underall comes over to his house? This is just my idea for Fletch to see, see of that. But he's at this weird point of his career where he's, you know, four years out from SNL at this point. The movie career hasn't gone exactly the way I think people had thought. And then he's in this and he's perfect. Bill Murray is still on SNL when they're filming it. He is in the shadow of Belushi and Aykroyd, but we're about to head into the season where those guys are gone and he's about to take control of SNL. He's going back and forth between the two places, but it's not Bill Murray yet. Uh, and that's why, you know, I think he he's not considered the lead when this comes out. Ted Knight is on an iconic comedy in the 70s, right? Probably probably the biggest other than MASH of the 70s. I would say the second biggest sitcom of the 70s. Or maybe yeah, All in the, all the Family, all top the family, three. Yeah, top three. All the Family, Taxi. There's a handful, but yeah, it's it's right up there. But we hadn't seen him in a movie. And then Dangerfield is just a stand-up comic. And it just catches these four people at kind of the perfect point for all of them. Wait. You, I grew up with this movie. Like I, I went to this movie. I saw it with my dad in Brookline when I was 10. It was one of the first nude scenes I'd ever been in the theater for, all that stuff. <laughs> but you showed up later. This movie was already established. What was your first memory with Kadeshek? Uh, I mean, my dad is a big golfer and he was a big kind of, we, we weren't a country club family. We were a public golf course family. And so the world of the country club was not accessible to us. But this the, the genius of this movie is that it's somehow a blue-collar comedy in the confines okay. of this up-class up experience that everyone's having. So I, I think my dad was probably just watching it one day, and I started watching it with him. And, you know, it was on constant rotation on cable. It was always accessible and always findable. And you could just tell right away, like, Bill, the comedy of Bill Murray, especially as Carl, you can understand that if you're six or if you're 60. You know, the thing, the voice he's doing, the way that he's talking, the rhythm he has, his magnetism, which is so almost indescribable, you just get drawn into it. And then as you get older, you start to realize like, oh, I'm seeing the unedited version. Oh, there's a topless girl. Oh, there's a lot of cursing. Oh, there's, you know, the pool sequence, which is usually edited out of the TNT version of this movie. And you start to see that it's like really a high level raunchy comedy. So I, I kind of had stages of experiencing it from the, the safest most neutered version all the way up to the most explicit version. And it's in that wheelhouse of a really weird comedy era from starting with Animal House, going all the way through to about 84, 85, where comedies are supposed to be really funny, but we're also supposed to be a little raunchy. You had to have the obligatory nude scene, all that stuff. I think this movie executed it that from that whole era. I think this is the best of all. Talk of Porky's. I think it's better than Animal House um, all the way through. I, I think it does the best job. And it's funny because it's such a disjointed movie. It is the love child of cocaine, basically. It's it's <laughs> if cocaine had a baby, it would be Caddyshack. <laughs> and, uh, and the scenes are just completely incoherent. The script's incoherent, but it doesn't yeah. really matter, especially when you've seen it a million times. The second big picture thing, I think this movie influenced the way everyone after it would play golf just in their day-to-day -day life more than any movie influenced the sport. Like there's certainly no basketball, baseball, football version of this. There's so many one-liners in this movie and there's so many different moments. 
And if you're on a golf course, it's almost weird if somebody doesn't say a Caddyshack line at some point. Like Happy Gilmore has a tiny piece of this corner for the next generation, but I, yeah, I just I think, think it this does, is the most influential generation. by far. Yeah, it, it it definitely is. I think that the the jokes are so esoteric, but they're also so baked into the dialogue. Like I I'm not sure if I was on a golf course for the first time before I'd seen this or not. Probably I probably saw the movie first, but even just no 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 like right. just just hearing that you would just hear that on a golf course and try to understand <laughs> what people were talking about. It just felt like it was part of the lingo of the sport. Or like if it's raining and I'm like, I think the heavy stuff's not going to come down for a while. There's <laughs> yeah. like, there's a different golf situation for uh, from every piece of this movie. So I, I think that's one of the reasons it, in, it endured. I remember when I saw Tiger Woods, I did something with him in 2006 for a video game and I interviewed him for 15 minutes and he was talking about how it was his favorite movie. And he's been pretty open about that over the years, but it's it influenced everyone from the generation that came out. And then the Tiger generation, no question, and it just kind of kept going. I think now it's starting to die a little bit because the movie feels so old in a lot of ways. I mean, it really it really does feel like it came out in 1980 in certain parts, even the way the caddies are wearing their T-shirts and, it just, you know, there's no cell phones. It, it feels distinctly rooted in a certain era. But at the same time, like my son would watch it and still have fun watching it, you know. Think about it like this. When you saw this movie for the first time, it's pretty similar to if Ben watches it today, like you seeing Casablanca in the year right. that you saw Caddyshack. I mean, think of the the amount of time that has transpired in movie history and how far we've come and how much movies have changed. And this movie is like, it's like you said in the, in the first big picture note, like it's just really kind of glued together. You know, it's not really, a, it's just a series of genius sketch comedy and stand up and sitcom actors just throwing a hundred for, for right. an hour and 40 minutes. And that's really all. It's like a, hardly a movie. and But it, that wasn't supposed to be the case. It was supposed to be a movie. There was a, a big coherent story and script and the movie just changed a lot when they were making it because they had those four guys who were such geniuses and they were like, we got to really lean into this. And it basically has all the comedy DNA from all of these different pieces of the 70s because you have Doug Kenny who's involved and this was his last movie. He dies shortly after. But he's the National Lampoon that like that whole sphere yeah, co-founder of, of the of the magazine and everything yeah you have Harold Ramis who eventually becomes a huge comedy director this was a launching pad for it um you have the SNL guys Murray and Chevy you have Ted Knight who's the throwback to this old school way of comedy like kind of pre-Saturday Live and then you have Dangerfield as the stand-up comic it was him and Rickles were kind of the two that had never had massive success, but all the other comics thought they were hilarious. And then you even have, you know, Brian Doyle Murray, Bill Murray's brother who, who wrote the movie and he's tied to that whole second city scene. So it's basically dipping into every scene, right? As all of them are trying to figure out how can we make more money from this comedy thing? And they're all kind of in this together and they try to do it. Um, Ted Knight, I want to go back to him for a second. Your guy. Well, it's he's kind of on on to borrow a golf phrase, he's kind of on the last couple holes of his career as a performer, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's eight months earlier, he filmed a two-hour love boat movie. <laughs> Ted Knight was not red hot. Yep. And 
he's, un- I mean, this is going to be a great who won the movie, but it kind of rejuvenates him and he ends up getting too close for comfort out of it and has this renaissance from it. He's, he's the only one that, uh, even if like in 1980 or like Caddyshack, blah, blah, blah. Oh, Ted Knight. He's with this, but he's so essential to the thing. But this movie ends up rejuvenating him. It basically creates Dangerfield as a major star. Um, it reinvents Chevy to some degree because I think he's tapping into all of this stuff that eventually becomes his mid-80s renaissance. And then for Bill Murray, like he had this in Meatballs. And now it's like, oh, Bill Murray's a movie star too. So it does all this great stuff for them, for Harold Ramis. Tragically, Doug Kenny ends up dying in Hawaii a couple of months later. He was like bitterly disappointed this wasn't a massive hit. They all thought this was going to be Animal House. They thought this you know, was going to be a $300 million movie. It's so, it is a really uh, a sad story. And there's a, a good book about Doug Kenny and his life called, I think, A Stupid and Feudal Gesture, which then they adapted into a movie a few years later on Netflix. And he's such a fascinating figure. He obviously co-founded the National Lampoon. He participated in Animal House. He participated in, in, in this movie. He basically, it sounds like he wrote most of this movie and most of that script and the making of the movie got thrown out. And he tried to write a movie that was the story of a bunch of caddies. It was more of a John Hughes movie than it ultimately was a raunchy comedy. And he was trying to portray the lives of these young teens and these guys who were trying to figure out what to do after they get out of high school. And then you realize you have six days with Bill Murray and Carl Spackler all of a sudden becomes the second or third most important figure in your movie. And then that means Danny Noonan gets brushed aside. I mean, the the arc of Danny Noonan's character in this movie is, is freaking weird, as is every other teenager. And I, I think in part, not just because the movie wasn't that successful, but because they didn't make the movie that Doug Kenny wrote. You know, that isn't yeah. ultimately what they put out. And it seems like he was really heartbroken with that. And obviously he had his struggles with cocaine, just like everybody else in this movie. And he, you know, he has this incredibly tragic and strange death where he goes to Hawaii to cool with Chevy out Chase. with Chevy for a few weeks. And so he goes with Chevy and then Chevy has to leave Hawaii to go back for some work. And he leaves Doug by himself. And Doug apparently goes to a cliff in Hawaii, in Kauai, and slips and falls and tragically dies. And he's but found nobody knows if it was intentional or not. We'll he was know. alone. It's unclear if it's suicide. It's unclear if, if he just slipped. Nobody knows. But we knew that he was going through this very difficult period in his life after all this creativity and success. And so he, his, you know, even though the movie is so goofy and fun and lighthearted, there are a couple of tragic and unusual circumstances in the aftermath of it, too. Well, it wasn't well-reviewed. It got okay reviews. They're kind of mixed. The movie did well. It didn't do Animal House well. It was like 17th right. in 1980. It wasn't a disaster, but I think he was thinking, this is going to be it for me. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a major, major guy. And it just didn't happen. And, you know, everybody's doing drugs back then. And I think he was one of the early casualties. But it's part of the legacy of this movie that he dies and then as the 80s go along, this became this became the movie. This was, you know, when I was in college in the late 80s, we had this movie, we had Animal House, um, Stripes. There was, you know, there's like five or six that you, everyone just had on VCR. Some of those faded away. Animal House became dated pretty quickly. This one hung on probably the longest of, I would say, all the comedies before like the John Hughes era. I think this one's had the most legs and it's still on. Like it's still, you know, it still does the tour. It's still super rewatchable. It's still one of those movies you can dive in in different parts and be like, oh, this is this part. I'm sticking with it. 
So I don't know when it finally fades away, but um, I, I I think it's still kicking. I think it's still point. kicking too. I mean, producer Craig n- knew it and likes it, and he's still into it. I think, and he's whether, a snob. He, he is a snob, but he cares about golf. If you care, about, that's does. the thing is, it's part of the you know the sort of initiation process into getting interested in golf as a teenager. This movie is a rite of passage. You have to watch this movie and to get the jokes, to get the culture, to be a part of it in a way that like. Beverly Hills Cop might not work for people anymore. You know, people are not right. as interested in stories about cops. Eddie Murphy doesn't hold the same stature for us. The Blues Brothers, same thing. The Blues Brothers is like kind of incomprehensible as a movie now. You know, it's like, so these guys are the brothers and they're in a band, but they've got to like save something and they got to enlist all their crazy friends around Chicago. Like that's just, that movie doesn't really make sense. With Caddyshack, it's like they're on a golf course. At the end of the movie, somebody's got to win and somebody's got to lose. It's easy to explain, even though the movie is mostly incomprehensible to that that point. You know you're getting to a final showdown, and it's a sports movie. That's it. it ultimately, it's a sports movie. You have heroes and villains, too. Yeah, Blues Brothers, I watched recently. It's actually a little underrated now because I, I think it had become so aged and kind of incoherent that... Uh, but then you watch it and like, there's great scenes in that movie. Like the Aretha Franklin scene is, is lights out fantastic. And there's like five scenes like that where it's like, oh, this is why that movie was a big deal. Uh, quickly, there's great research on this movie. Like what's that guy's name? Chris Nashadaway? Nashawadi, yeah, yeah. Nashawadi, sorry. Sorry, Chris. I actually uh, he, don't know if that's right. So apologies to Chris either way. He wrote a great book about this movie though. Yeah, he wrote a book a couple of years ago and, that, and he did a Sports Illustrated piece too about 10 years ago. But there's been some other ones too. Uh, Harold Ramis said about Doug Kenny, he said, um, I remember the New York Times called it an amiable shambles of a comedy. Doug was very depressed. His substance abuse was peaking. Someone said to me, you can never get enough of what you don't really need. And Doug kept going to substance abuse for comfort. There's no comfort there. He went to Hawaii with Chevy. Chevy came back. Doug didn't. So the movie made 40 million bucks. Uh, Cocaine was a big character in this movie. And there's a lot of stuff in the oral histories and features about this. Uh, Danny Noonan played by Michael O'Keefe. Michael O'Keefe said, cocaine was driving everyone. It would be lunch and someone would say, do you want to do a line? Yeah, sure. It was no big deal. This was the seventies. Peter Burkrat, who was the guy that uh, I think Bill Murray held the pitchfork to his neck. He said, uh, cocaine was the fuel that kept the film running. And then Harold Ramis said the cocaine business in South Florida was mammoth. Everyone was doing everything. There was some concern from the studio. Someone in the accounting department leaked to the studio that everyone was taking their per diems in cash, which is unusual. <laughs> so if you like these stories, I, I recommend the, uh, the book. But um, the jokes and the scenes, I think, ultimately are what gave this a 40-year-plus shelf life. But the, the thing that I love and the reason I think it's the most rewatchable comedy, it's definitely one of the five most rewatchable comedies for me, is all the nuances. There's so much subtle shit going on. Like, I, I had a list of some of them. Like, uh, Lou the Caddy Master. Just, they throw in, he's got uh, he's got an obvious gambling problem because they start that thing and he's like, yeah, give me six, plus six on the Sixers. Uh, who stepped on a duck? I feel like became a running fart joke for 40 years, but Rodney kind of throws that in. I love Mrs. Smales limping back to her room after the boat christening. She's got her shoulder ripped. Uh, I love when Lou starts the climactic match and he goes, your honor, your honor. Uh, Carl Spacker spitting in his own living room. 
Carl, the, how they said how Carl Lipbaum had to abandon the scholarship because he died in summer school from a severe anxiety attack. The Haverkamps, the old couple, as somebody who caddied for three years, those are real couples that you caddy for. That they, It's actually oh, yeah. a good gig because they're hitting it 45 yards per shot and you don't really have to move and you can kind of hang. Um, some of the names, which we'll get to later, but I mean, Mitch Kumstein is the height of comedy. It's Fucking, the funniest the, thing. It's the funniest thing in the whole movie. So good. I, I fell down laughing again watching it yesterday. <laughs> uh, Ty Webb explaining why I didn't fight in Vietnam. That that whole thing. I was, <laughs> were you in Vietnam? No. Wang, the photographer. Like, there's literally 50 things. I could just keep going and going. And I think that's ultimately why this movie has lasted for so long. Because every time you watch it, there's three new things that you're like, oh yeah, that was really funny. I forgot they did that. Yeah, it's just on overload. And you can tell that the guys in real time are just improvising, 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 improvising. You know, they're just coming up with bits, coming up with jokes. We'll talk about, I'm sure. I mean, you know, the Dalai Lama speech, almost everything Chevy says in the movie, all that stuff is, is, is riff material, you know, like, and we've talked about the Apatow comedies on this show a few times and how Apatow creates this environment where you can try stuff. I mean, that really starts here with these movies and the inexperience that all of these filmmakers had, I think really just played to their advantage. Ramis had never directed a movie before. You know, most of these guys had barely made movies. Chevy is probably the most seasoned film actor on the set. Although Michael O'Keefe is coming off of an Oscar nomination for the right. great Santini coming into this movie. So even though he's a young guy, he does have some experience. But you know, Rodney's never been in a movie before. And Rodney's just doing, it's like he's on The Tonight Show on a golf course. You know, he's just doing his material in the movie and it's great. So it's all kind of like happy accidents or environments that they've created, whether by dint of inexperience or cocaine, that just makes it so fun. You know, that's a good point about the improv thing and the connection to the Apatow era. I I have no idea if this is true, but this is certainly the first movie I can remember where they openly talked about how the the actors improvised entire scenes. You yeah. know, we'll talk about it later, but the, the scene with Chevy Chase and Bill Murray it's in the movie because they realize right at the tail end of the filming that they don't have a scene with those two guys in it together. And they kind of on the fly ad lib this crazy scene where, where Ty Webb for some reason is practicing at night and hits a, hits a golf ball into the Bill Murray's <laughs> caddy apartment and then decides to play out and they're just hanging out for five minutes. It makes no sense. It's incoherent. The, the the setup for that scene where he has to go knock the ball out of like a fallen tree and then he hits it into Bill. I, it's so confusing and jarring. It's like, how did we end up here? Why is Ty here? Why is he playing right now? Where, where is the, why did the movie just stop dead in its tracks? It's actually a terrible setup for an yeah. incredible scene though. But, and to, to your point about the nuances that I think you could do a Zapruder film style breakdown of everything that happens between Murray and Chevy in that scene. It's their Great. energy is fascinating. It's, it's, uh, when he spits, it fucking kills me. <laughs> it's, it's his own place. It's not like he's outside, but you know, Ty earlier in the movie, it's established. He doesn't even keep score when he plays golf. So now he's like, Hey, can I play through? Can I play off your bong? Like it's yeah, incoherent. Yeah. He's like Chris we, Ryan in that way, you know. He doesn't like to write down the number, you know. It's it's too low. Good point. He doesn't want to make. He doesn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Roger Ebert gave this movie two and a half stars out of four. He wrote, "Caddyshack feels like a movie that was written rather loosely, so that when shooting again, there was freedom, too much freedom, for it to wander off in all directions in search of comic inspiration." Yeah, that's exactly right, Raj. You should up that by by a star. 
it made $40 million and there's so much to cover that we are going to go right to the categories right after this break. Let's talk about Blue Apron. Home cooking matters now more than ever. Blue Apron takes the guesswork out of dinner and we mean more than just deciding what to eat. You can know your ingredients are being prepared and packaged with the highest attention to quality and safety with their commitment to transparency and reducing waste. Blue Apron has your back in more ways than one. You can feel good about your food and your environmental impact. With Blue Apron, the first meal kit to partner with How to Recycle, which is committed to transparency and reducing waste. Over 85% of Blue Apron packaging recyclable, 41% of their packaging materials made from recycled content. They are the first meal kit company to transition to drain-safe, fully recyclable ice packs. Feel good about your choices. Create delicious meals at home with Blue Apron. Prices start as low as $7.49 per serving. Don't sacrifice flavor. Don't settle for boring meals. Find comfort in the kitchen, in your own place of residence. Very important right now. With Blue Apron, enjoy delicious home-cooked meals. Check out this week's menu. Get $30 off across your first two deliveries when you visit blueapron.com slash rewatch. Once again, blueapron.com slash rewatch. Blue Apron, feed your soul. All right, most rewatchable scene. This is tough because there's so many mini scenes that it's like, what's a scene? What's So I, I try to do the best I could here. Starting with Ty playing golf with Danny. You take drugs, Danny, every day? Good. You take drugs, Danny? Every day. Good. So what's the problem? I don't know. I don't know. Did you have to take that cooter preference test when you were- uh, Be the ball. No, no, no. I'm not talking. Not talking. I'm not saying anything. All that, it's just lights out. And honestly, I love Chevy Chase. So just seeing him in a movie like this in 1980, coming off like this legendary one-year SNL run he had, it was just, just like nice to see him on a golf course. I could have watched, I could have watched Danny Cadding for Ty Webb for an hour. Um, next one, the country club dinner. Now, I guess technically we could say the Dalai Lama scene in here, but I had that in what stage the best because it's short. It's like a minute. Wait, we're going right to the dinner? Yeah. Well, I had some more in what stage the best. I tried to split it up. Okay. This is so confusing. I don't know what to spoil and what not to spoil then. Okay. The country club dinner includes Judge Smales' outfit. Yep. Which I don't even know how to describe. He looks like a, like a locomotive model on like some <laughs> train set that your kids would have or something. It's like he looks like a Lego. He, he looks like a, 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 a yacht captain in a comic book, you know, it's just right. a completely absurd. Yeah. It's, it's great. It's just great. This is where Al Cervic throws all kinds of heat. He, he rips off in about a minute. The steak still has marks from where the jockey was hitting it. That somebody stepped on a duck. You must've been something for electricity. And now I know why tigers eat their young. It's all within a minute. He's just <laughs> firing it like a machine gun. Um, this is also when Ty meets Lacey, which is really funny. And I thought they had really good chemistry in their scenes together. This includes Spalding drinking the half-done cocktails, which is so fucking funny. And I, I'm i sure you knew too, but we there were always those couple kids in your life who did that at age 15 to 18, who would just kind of prowl around the wedding or the, you know at some point in night just kind of searching for that, the half-jack and Coke. Let me ask you an important question. Have you ever accidentally drank something that has a cigarette butt put out in it? Probably. Because I have, and it is fucking disgusting. It yeah, that's pretty absolute awful. worst. It's the worst, and, and Spalding's 
vomiting in the in the Corvette is just incredible. Right. Well, and that's how it ends. So, and then uh, Rodney dancing has that too. You want to make fourteen dollars the hardest way. All that stuff. Uh, <laughs> next one, Baby Ruth bar scene, uh, pool yep. scene. Alzheimer. Um, There's some some nitpicks that we'll get into later with that scene, but um, it was kind of the money shot scene in the movie originally. When Carl, seeing that in the theater, when Carl eats the Baby Ruth bar, like absolutely brought the house down. Like brought the house down. People lost their fucking minds. Judge Schmales' wife uh, fainting, all that stuff. Uh, Ty and Lacey's date. He's just doing Fletch for five minutes and it's great. And he's completely out of his mind. And my only nitpick is where was the cocaine? Because there obviously was a big pile of it in one of the rooms in Ty's house. But it, I tried to look you up, but there wasn't a listing for Mr. Wonderful. What spelling did he use? Oh, hello. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Hi. Is he? No, come on in. Oh, go ahead. Nothing. I tried calling, but they don't have a listing for Mr. Wonderful. What uh, spelling did you use? Sorry about this mess. Let me just clean up here. The whole Vietnam thing. <laughs> him, him saying your uncle molests collies. The song when he's singing. It's He's just so coked out. I was born to love you. I was born to lick your face. Uh, that seems just bonkers, but it leads to Fletch, I feel like. I was born to love you. I was born. Lick your face. I was born to rub you, but you were born to rub me first. Let's go into uh, the patio. Yeah, you're crazy. That's what they said about Son of Sam. There's just, <laughs> just it's just all heaters. It's just he's just throwing heaters the whole time. There's no none of the characters are really interacting with each other in a human way. They're no. like. Of, of the main He's four pouring guys. massage oil on her for no reason. It's like, what is this? How is this erotic? It's so weird. It's great. It's really funny. And he, um, yeah, he crafted like a comic persona that we've basically never seen before. He's like the highest level asshole who you like. And yeah. that, that was very unique. Yeah. The, uh, I made this its own scene. I guess Dalai Lama should be in there too because I I, I kind of cheated with, I put Dalai Lama, let's put Dalai Lama in there too. The whole Dalai Lama story, even though it's only a minute. And then Cinderella story, I have into the greatest round ever because it's like those two scenes next to each other, I'm I'm bunching them together. See the Bill Murray, the famous Cinderella story, I don't know where, former greenskeeper about to be. But then right after that is the bishop going, hey, will you, will you carry my bag for nine holes? Well, what do you think, fella? I keep playing. I don't think the heavy stuff's going to come down for quite a while. You're right. Anyway, the good Lord would never disrupt the best game of my life. If I were you, I'd keep playing. I don't think the heavy stuff's coming down for a while. That whole thing. So that combo, I'm, I'm combining those. So very underrated part of that sequence. Obviously, the Cinderella story speech is iconic and you know also i think he completely just invented that on the spot harold ramus gave him some pitch that was just like just think about the final minutes of a basketball game and the way the announcers talk and then he, he told him to act that. like a child yeah right. he was like pretend you're like six years old for this young cinderella who's come out of nowhere he's got about 350 yards left he's gonna hit about a five iron expect don't you think he's got a beautiful backswing. swing that's oh he got all of that one 
He's got to be pleased with that. The crowd is just... So that's incredible. But then when the bishop comes and grabs him to caddy for him in that round, you know, the bishop is... That's Henry Wilcoxon, who's really, you know, kind of an iconic actor of the 1930s and 40s. This was one of Cecil B. DeMille's, like, go-to guys. He's a great actor. He's in Mrs. Miniver and... um, the greatest show on earth. He's in a ton of like Oscar films throughout the years. He's kind of like a, I'm trying to think of who's a good comp for him. He's not like a Philip Seymour Hoffman, but he's in that kind of like high level character actor zone. Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's a very well-known, well, well well-respected actor. And his last line, and I think this is his last performance as he's struck by lightning is rat farts. He screams to the sky, rat farts, and then No, because you, you forget, he's in one more scene where he's like gone to the dark side. What? When they, Wait, when when? they decide to make the bet. Oh. And he's drunk <laughs> at the bar. His, right. I think his last line is, there is no God. <laughs> Judge Smales right. is like, clean That's up. Right. What's wrong with you? <laughs> he's right. like, ah. <laughs> he's, he's just... <laughs> they just threw that in. He completely I forgot they down. let him survive the lightning strike. Yeah. That's amazing. Oh my God. Carl uh, walking away and leaving him on the course too is low key. So underrated. Oh, but he so drops funny. the bag. Yeah. yeah. It's so good. The, uh, we mentioned Ty running into Carl, which it's just cannonball, cannonball and all the stuff that's going on there. There's a million things. Um, I think my favorite part is when he's like, you should come over sometime. He's like, what's your address? You're on Briar, right? Chevy's like, yeah, yeah, Briar, <laughs> Briar. That's that's where I am. Uh, my favorite, my favorite line from that exchange is, um, he's like, your place got a pool. He's like, yeah, we have a pond in the back. We have a pool and a pond. Pond be good for you. <laughs> pond be good for you. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, my last one, I really tried to narrow it down. The, and this is my pick because this this makes me laugh the hardest every single time is the Smales kid picking his nose and the guy's betting on it. <laughs> Fucking destroys me. It made me laugh when I was 10. It made me laugh in my 20s and in my 30s and in my 40s. And now I'm 50 and it still makes me laugh. My favorite part is when they do the double or nothing that he eats it and he eats it. And it's like, oh man. And one of those guys goes, <laughs> one of the guys dead pits. Hey, he's hungry. There he goes. He's going. Yeah! 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 It has subtlety. Like it ha- it does all the stuff you want. I love the the black guy. I don't know what his job is. He's the, t- he's the guy who gets mad at Ted Knight. The, the attendant, yeah, who cleans yeah, the shoes. Yeah. yeah, He's the one kind of running the action on the nose picking scene. <laughs> and he's like, come on. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> he's taking it. It's just fucking high to comedy. Uh, any other rewatchable scenes for you? I guess, I guess we could put in Al Cervix entrance. I had that in What's Age the Best, but. The first time yeah. we meet him, everything he does in that. When you jumped right to the restaurant, I was going to say, "What about when Al arrives at the country club with Wang and they're taking the photos?" And he's in the he's in the pro shop and he looks at the hat on the, the hat. mannequin and then he sees Smells wearing the hat. That's just an incredible. You know, looks good on you. Oh, this is the worst looking hat I ever saw. Well, you buy a hat like this, I bet you get a free bowl of soup, huh? Oh, it looks good on you though. 
I like when he yells at Wang. He was like, Wang's taking pictures. He's like, Wang, it's a parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dangerfield is great. I'm trying to think of what else, what other good scenes. I mean, it's notable that we don't have any scenes that with with really with Danny or with Denunzio or with Maggie or with any of those characters. You know, we're not really, yeah. even though that's theoretically the movie, we're not pointing to any of those. And that stuff is not bad. It just doesn't feel like what is most memorable about, about the movie. I'm going with uh, either the Smales kid picking his nose or just Ty running a Carl because that's such a, like an unbelievable scene and it's so weird and they're ad libbing everything. So I those love are my it. choices. I, I I I'm gonna go with um Carl and Ty together in Carl's outhouse because it's it's like um it's like when you get to see LeBron and Steph teamed up in the All Star game. And you're like, we're, yeah. we've only seen, this we're only going to cool. see this one time, you know, like we may never see this again, these two guys playing together in this way. And we don't even, they probably don't even like each other, you know, and Murray and Chase didn't even really like each other. They had some animosity. Do Steph and LeBron like each other? I don't know. But seeing them play together means it could be something special. Forgot to mention that they had the famous fight backstage right before Chase was about to host SNL, like two minutes right. before and, uh, and got really, really ugly. Famously ugly. And they just were considered like keep these guys out of the same room together. So when they ended up on the movie, I think that was probably part of the reason they ended up not even having them in scenes initially. So before we get to what stage the best, I have a special category. Okay. What stage what stage the best? Ted Knight edition. <laughs> well, we're so, waiting. Oh, that's on there. I'm just gonna go through chronologically. He's in the country club and the two guys are playing poker and he looks at them and he goes, don't you have homes? <laughs> Just utter disdain. <laughs> fucking kills me. I love uh, when Lacey has that joke about falling around. He's like, huh? Oh, huh? <laughs> Whatever he does. <laughs> the, uh, I know you nothing. Well, the world needs ditch diggers too. That's uh, big the one. iconic with Spalding's, I want a hamburger cheese very well. You'll get nothing and like it. <laughs> The uh, his speech when he's christening the boat when he does it when his shorts are too tight in the seat and he's like ma, ah, he's like, like killing himself laughing. Uh, I've sentenced boys younger than you to the gas chamber. Didn't want to do it. Felt like I owed it to them. I don't even know what that means. Why did he feel like he owed it to them that they had to go to the gas chamber? It's I think bizarre. it's just to reveal that he's just a complete asshole. He's he's a sociopath. <laughs> Uh, are you my pal, Mr. Scholarship winner? How about a fresco, huh? Huh? So <laughs> when I was in college, how about a fresco was a running joke, not just in my college, but I felt like how about a fresco was like an iconic thing that people just said to each other. And I'm not even sure people do that with movie lens anymore. I think they do. I think it's different, but I think that this is one of the Good. first movies that you can remember where you don't even understand. You don't even understand the joke after a while. Like, I don't even, what is the joke in Can I Offer You a Fresca? It's not, it's not even really a joke. No. I'm your pal. <laughs> How about a Fresca? Oh. Huh? <laughs> it, it's just, it sounds like a thing you should say to somebody to be kind of a dick. And I think it's a joke because everything he does is funny in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Every, every line delivery is the highest level of comedy. Uh, when he gets Billy Baru. And he pulls it out. He's like cradling. He's oh, Billy, Billy, Billy. It's just like <laughs> fucking insanity. And then you said the best one, though. Well, we're waiting. And just like the look on his face. 
You're on, you're on. Well, we're waiting. I don't know how that's not a bigger meme. That's it's one of the biggest Twitter memes there is. I think. I think anytime oh, you tease something, anytime you're like, we got a big, you know, big scoop coming tomorrow. Everybody just drops in the well. We're waiting. GIF. That's that's the go-to. It should be the go-to of all time. So Ramus, uh, Ramus said that um, everyone had an improv background. Everyone was ad libbing, but Ted Knight was a very traditional, follow the lines in the script actor. And Ramus said. Uh, the whole atmosphere was alien to him. Young people running around in South Florida being crazy. crazy. And then Cindy Morgan, who played Lacey Underall, said, Ted was trying to do his job. He's holding the script in his hand. Meanwhile, Rodney is running around saying whatever the heck popped in his head. Ted was really angry. So they had this real-life Ted Knight Rodney thing that kind of works for the movie because they're not supposed to like each other. And you really feel like Ted Knight hates Al Cervic. Yeah, and, and uh, you, get, you get the sense that based on some of the stuff I've read that Rodney didn't even really know how to be on a movie set. Right. You know, he just wasn't a professional actor. And I don't know I don't know if this story is true or not or if it's apocryphal, but that whole bit where Rodney enters the scene and Ramus yells action and Rodney doesn't do anything because he doesn't yeah, he realize do. that action is supposed to indicate that you're supposed to start acting. And you can imagine somebody like Ted Knight, who's been a professional TV actor for 40 years at that point, is like what the fuck is happening here? <laughs> like, why doesn't right. anybody know how to be a professional in addition to just doing mounds of cocaine in between every take? I was trying to think who is the 2020 version of Ted Knight. It would have to be somebody who was on an iconic TV sitcom for a long period of time and represented a different generation. I don't even know who it is. Because I, mm. you know, TV mattered just more in the seventies. We only had three networks. Every show was a huge show. But I mean, is he like like um, David Hyde Pierce or something like that? You know, somebody who was on a, yeah, a massive maybe. show, who was a supporting character, but who like was always you know winning Emmys and beloved. I always thought he was the he was my favorite character on that show. Um, I really, I really liked. I like that. Like, he was just really funny. I thought he had good timing. I thought he had good connection with Mary. Anyway, what's age the best? I have a bunch of stuff here, including Al Cervix golf bag. It had a phone, a stereo, a quarter keg, a putter with an electronic tracking device, and a contraption that enabled all the clubs to shoot up in the air at once. That's that's just what we know it had. It might have had more. Can we talk about the Bill Simmons golf bag experience? Are you like a big bag guy? Do you like a little bag? No, I like little bags. No, you know why? Anyone who ever caddied knows. You'll never see me with a giant bag ever, unless I'm using a cart. If I'm doing a cart, I'll do the bag. But if if it's an actual caddy, it's it's a respect thing. Because believe me, there's nothing worse than caddying. Nothing. Let me let, let's can we talk about that very quickly? Because I I yeah. I, I, cad, I caddied one summer too, and uh it sucked. It's probably I've had a lot of bad jobs in my life. A lot caddying of caddying really is jobs. the worst job you're gonna have, except for maybe construction. I have done construction. I have built I have built bathroom partitions in public schools as a summer job, and caddying was worse. Like it 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 was painful, hot. The people were dicks to me. They were people so are fucking dicks. rude. They're rude and every time. It's such an awful job. And if you got a heavy bag, 
If you got a bag where the guy was like, it's important that I keep 300 balls in my bag. You were like, God damn this guy. He's so yeah. selfish, not thinking about the caddy. So just wondering if you were a small bag or big bag guy. Caddying ropes people in when they're young and they don't know any better because it's like, well, I'll make tips and I get to be outside. It'll be great. And it's like, guess what? It's not going to be great. It's not going to be great at all. It's going to be most of the worst. I said once that like out of the 25 worst moments of my life, I think 20 of them happened when I caddied. The only fun thing was Tuesdays at the course that I caddied for with Tuesdays was when they let the women play. Like the, in the mornings, it was the only morning where the women were allowed to play. I mean, this is we're talking mid eighties, but I used, they always used to use carts and you would just carry their putters and it was great. That was like mm. my favorite day to caddy. I would help them line up their putts and stuff. But for the most part, it's the fucking worst and sucks. be nice to your caddies, be nice to your waiters and your caddies. Absolutely. Another what's age the best, the fake names, which include Mitch Cumstein, Lacey Underall, <laughs> Dr. Bieber, Al Cervic, <laughs> Carl Lipbaum, and- and underrated Chuck Schick. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why Chuck Schick is funny, but it, but it is. What's a? Can we talk about Doctor Beeper real quick? Sure. Um, underrated. He's got a lot of screen time in this movie. He actually has a lot of lines in this movie. I and, know. Um, I don't. I can't quite put my finger on what the thinking was with this character. It's really weird. If he feels like an SNL character that they just didn't fully flesh out. So I. I, he's coming up later in recasting okay. coach. Okay. Another would say the best. Lacey Underall. And now I don't know if it was this was one of the first naked people I've ever seen, so I'm always going to be attached with her for life. But she's she's just great in this movie. And I would say normally I would say it's unclear why this didn't lead to a lot of other stuff for her because I think she's really good. But then she's funny. in the in the research we're going to find out why it didn't lead more because there's a really oh, bad old Hollywood story about this. Oh. Um, another so one stage that she, she, but she does, she is following a very traditional playbook that is similar to what Sybil Shepard did, where she was a model and a and in, in commercials and in ad campaigns. And she gets an opportunity to act in this movie. And she wasn't really, I mean, she had trained as an actor, but she was not like a, you know, aspiring to be a major actress. So it's, she's a, like a lot of people here, like a real newcomer. You've never really seen her before. And she's really good. She's good. She's funny. Another what's age the best, Lacey Underall's yellow 450 SL. Just great. I, I would have gone convertible if I had been on the production. I would have, I think that would have been the final piece for it, but still great, great car, great era for some, that car. Some great cars in this movie in general. Yeah. The uh, the llama story, I had it in what's age the best, but we should also, I, I guess we'll put it in the most rewatchable scene. I really like the Bushwood CC t-shirts. And <laughs> I remember writing 18 years ago, like how are these not available? And now like you can get, all stuff from all these movies, but um, I love that. I love the Billy Baru. I, I don't know how Billy Baru got that name. I love the idea of somebody having a special putter that they only bring out in big situations. Do you name uh, your clubs? Do you have anything like that? No, no. no. You, you, I, does does Ben name his guitars? No, I did name my my pool sticks, my pool cues. <laughs> did have oh, yeah. those? Yeah, <laughs> that's 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 very um. Well, we used to, I used to That's play pool Freudian, for money. Bill. I used to, I used to uh, need all the edge I get. I just loved everything about Billy Brew. Noonan, no, 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 Noonan, 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 Noonan. Um, I, I, to me, this is the ultimate. What's age the best? That's age to the point that, and it became so integrated into our culture 
that when you see it in the actual movie now, it's surprising. Because this has had a 40-year run of people like trying to fuck each other up by going, Newton! And is, this a, is that a move you pull on the golf course? Are you fucking no, with Joe House? Not on a golf course, but you know, if, if you're playing horse with somebody or something. Oh, sure. I mean, how many times yeah. has anyone, in any situation, it works? Because if someone did that to me on a golf course, I would, I would go after them. If someone tried oh, to yeah. talk through my putt, I would I'd probably hit him on the golf course. Carl washing his golf balls continues to be hilarious 40 years later. This is Crane. I'm looking at you. You are green so you could hide. <laughs> I don't blame you. You're a tramp. Oh, that was a good one. Oh, that was right where you wanted it. Oh, Mrs. Crane, you're a little monkey woman, you know that? You're a little monkey woman. You're lean and you're mean and you're not too far between. Yeah, it's, that it's shot is so, so good, though. It's so good. Oh, Mrs. Crane. <laughs> <laughs> His obsession, the way he describes what the women are doing. Obviously, Carl is a ridiculous character and it's whatever, it's offensive, but his interest in them is so weird. Like, it's so- well, he's, a, he's probably a criminal. I mean, he, he, he's-, he's definitely in jail within the next probably 10 hours after that movie, after he blows well, he up did, the golf course. He did course. blow up the whole golf course, so yeah, yeah. he probably is in jail. <laughs> I have Don't Worry, It's Good Luck, yeah, and Haiti. Uh, for what's age the best because I feel like that led to a nice run of Haiti humor because on SNL they did the bad idea jeans and I, I don't know there's a legacy for that um, L. Hugh will you come here and loof my stretch mark <laughs> fucking kills me plus why was the judge's name L. Hugh who's named L. Hugh L. Hugh is not a name I've ever heard of I don't know Elihu Smales is some incredible comedy writer name creation shit Judge L. Hugh Smales yeah <laughs> I had uh, Al Cervix's entrance in here. Kenny Loggins. Yeah, we need to talk about Kenny Loggins. So, well, I mean, that one of the great movie screenwriters ever. We talked about him in Top Gun. What a run. Is, is he the greatest, you think? Is he be, is he over, you know, Peter Cetera? Is he over the is he is he over Harold Faltermeyer in terms of providing music for 80s movies? Is he the number one 80s music guy? Well, he double duties Top Gun. Yeah, he he does Footloose, which is a sensation, and he has the theme song for this movie that's been going for forty years and counting. So I think that's got to be bigger than Harold Faltermeyer. Let me just say that I'm all right. The theme from this movie still whips ass. It's just great. It's a good one. Love it. Hasn't aged today for me. Yeah, if you're on somebody's porch and the song comes on, and nobody's like, "Oh, what the fuck is this?" Never disappointed when it comes on. Ooh, my arm, it's broken, became a running joke. That, that is a classic Woods Age the Best. That became a running joke um, in all kinds of scenarios for all kinds of things. What, is, what does Beeper say when he's like, oh yeah, it could be a fractured ulna? <laughs> right. <laughs> Beeper's tough. Beeper, uh, some issues, Beeper. And then uh, one more Woods Age the Worst. Just Judge Smales is weak. His golf course blew up. His shitty boat sank. He nearly killed an old lady with his club. He found out his beloved niece was was just up to stuff. <laughs> found out Ty's dad never liked him. <laughs> he lost an illegal $80,000 match. And um, the last we saw him, he was being chased by Moose and Rocco. Rough week. Tough times for the judge. Not ideal. The lesson there is don't be a massive asshole to everybody, I think. <laughs> He's just a complete prick for, for an hour and 40 minutes. And the world responds to it. 
I had a one other tiny what's age the best. I still like Judge Smales' uh, golf outfits in this movie. It's shades of of some Jack Nicholas, late 70s, early 80s. Like he, there's a pink shirt, plaid pants combo that I think actually would like Joe House would wear right now. Yeah, the the one thing that's weird, I mean, there's a lot of style choices in the movie that are crazy, but it's back when the golf shirt, the polo shirt, would have four buttons and go all the way down to your breastplate. So it just right. everybody just looks it's just instantly aged because of that. You haven't seen a person wear a shirt like that in 25 years. And if they are wearing it, it's because they haven't bought a shirt since 1980. But, you know, I mean, he looks better than Al Cervic. Well, one thing that's aged the worst is, though, really nobody has hats on. Mm. Now, if you do this yeah. movie, everyone's wearing a hat. Back then, everybody, I mean, skin cancer, they're smoking. There's all kinds of cancers going on. Cocaine. There's more... Um, you know, there are more uh, like detective hats, you know, like deer stalker True. style hats than there are like baseball caps. Guys are not wearing baseball right. caps on the course. Any other what's age the best for you? I just, are, are we going to spend time talking about the llama scene? Like, I, I just feel like that's Let's the scene. Let's do it. I, I, I just think that that's the funny. I think it might be the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. I, I think that <laughs> I, 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 I think it's the fun, maybe the funniest scene in movie history. It is. What he's trying to do by colliding goofball shit with high-level Zen thinking and exploring like history and the wider scope of the world with this moronic criminal character is surprisingly and weirdly sophisticated while also being totally legible to a six-year-old. And it's just it's the it's the genius of Bill Murray in two minutes. So I tell him I'm a pro Jack. And who do you think they give me? The Dalai Lama himself, the 12th son of the Lama, the flowing robes, the grace, bald, striking. So I'm on a first tee with him, I give him the driver. He hauls off and whacks one, big hitter, the Lama. Long, into a 10,000 foot crevice right at the base of this glacier. Do you know what the Lama says? No. Gunga Galunga. Gunga, gunga, gunga. So we finish 18, and he's going to stiff me. And I say, hey, Lama, hey, how about a little something, you know, for the effort, you know? And he says, oh, uh, there won't be any money. But when you die on your deathbed, you will receive total consciousness. So I got that going for me. And I, I, I think all of the words and the phrases and I got that going for me, which is nice. Like all that stuff is just part of what you were describing. It's in the lexicon now that, and it won't ever go away. I mean, that scene is never going to leave me as long as I live. I'll, I'll think of it even when I, just when I watch golf on television and that's the power of a, a truly great movie scene. Big hitter, the llama. Uh, <laughs> he's really holding a real pitchfork. Yeah. And Apparently the guy, the kid in that scene is like terrified that he's going to get impaled by the pitchfork. And you can see him kind of looking down a couple of times like he's going to get hit by it. Uh, what's age the worst? So when you're watching the golf tournaments and the golf announcers try to force the Caddyshack line into the tournament, that's, that's just aged terribly. I, I think great. everybody should just stop. That hasn't aged as badly as Denuncio's golf swing and golf outfit. Yeah. Denuncio's golf swing looks like Chris Ryan on a good day. <laughs> he's got a, he's got like, 
it's kind of more of a Rob Deere thing, you know, where he's just got like that corkscrew body, like swinging real hard, but not the way you're supposed to swing a golf. I mean, nobody in the movie really swings well besides Danny in my mind. And he's wearing a he's wearing a blouse. It looks like everything about it is just completely off and ridiculous. And it's hard to believe you see Danny swing and you see Denunzio swing and you're like, really? This came down to the 18th hole. He looks like he's headed to his shift at Chippendales right after the golf tournament. It's a (laughs) freaking ridiculous outfit. (laughs) Terrible. Uh, Another what's age the worst? The Gopher. I could do. I could do 20 minutes on this or 20 seconds. I I think we'll probably do 20 seconds, but. I, for a long time in my life, if somebody liked the gopher and Caddyshack, to me, that was all I needed to know. I, uh, I, it's, it's not funny. It, it doesn't really work. And they double down on it in the sequel. You know, they make it like a huge part of the sequel. Doesn't and the gopher talk in the sequel? No, it, but the it gopher like, like a, says words. The, go, the gopher gets really horny and starts looking, oh, looking no. out for female gophers. It's, it's just kind of a mess. Um, I, it, it doesn't, it feels like, um, you know, they had these four styles of comedy that we talked about in the movie and they tried to add a fifth one. They tried to add like the Muppets, like Gremlins, you know, something that was like an animatronic toy into the movie. And it just, it's not funny. You know why I didn't know about the Caddyshack 2 thing? Because Caddyshack 2 never happened. Sorry. Um, another what's age the worst, Maggie. One of the worst sports movie characters in a long time. Not sure why she's here. She's um, got an Irish accent for reasons that remain unclear. The actor well, is thanks not, for uh, nothing. <laughs> the actor is not Irish. No, Sarah and she's the girl American. from Animal House. Yeah, so yeah. she has this amazing IMDb where she's in Animal House and then she's in Caddyshack and then basically is out of acting after that. But um, it's a sad story. She, I think, she suffers from um, she has some mental health problems. And oh. um, and she walked away from acting completely after being in these movies. Wow. This has the pregnancy subplot, the quickly resolved pregnancy subplot that we definitely didn't need. And I'm not sure why it's in there. And uh, just in general, tough character. Another what's age the worst. The Baby Ruth Bar as a Jaws parody in 1980 is a lights out idea. I think 40 years later, maybe not as uh, effective. Caddyshack 2, you mentioned. This is a, a what's age the worst for me just from somebody who's seen this movie too many times. Lou the Caddy Master. The, the course is blowing up. There's bombs everywhere. Things are just exploding around everybody as Danny Noonan's last putt is hanging on the lip. Lou the Caddy Master, undaunted by bombs going off all over the holes around them just staring at Danny Noonan's last putt intently. Can't, unfazed, unfazed by explosions all over the place. Wouldn't your reaction be to like cover your head, fall to the ground? I I, I don't know. Never really understood that one. Maybe he was a, a Vietnam veteran. He had been uh, acclimated to the explosions. Oh, maybe, maybe um, possible. I think also it probably is a testament to how much Lou hated smells. You know, he just really wanted to see that putt fall. He just wanted to crush his spirit. <laughs> This last one's a bummer. John Peters was the producer. Mm. Um, pretty checkered past. Famous figure. Can we, should we explain who he is a little bit? So, former hairdresser, Warren Beatty, modeled shampoo after him, married Barbara Streisand, produced The Stars Born With Him, 
feuded with Chris Christopherson, became a pretty big producer, and then eventually had books written about him because him and Peter Goober, wasn't it? Took over Sony. Right. Yep. And uh, it was a disaster, but he's the producer of this. So Cindy Morgan agrees to be topless in this movie in the Lacey Danny scene. John Peters arranges a Playboy photographer to come shoot her for a spread for Playboy. She declines. Peter says, you're doing this or I'm going to end your career. They have like the classic old Hollywood terrible conversation. Now she's upset. Harold Ramis steps in, cancels the shoot. John Peters does, oh, you'll never work in this town again, all that stuff. And she actually doesn't work after that. And, you know, it's it's one of those stories. Like you hear a lot of these stories the last couple of years in the Me Too era. And this is like an early version of it. And it's a fucking bummer. It's it's. It's just a bad story. It's a it's just a classic Hollywood being pressured into doing an actress being pressured into doing something that she doesn't want to do. And then by putting up a fight, then being branded somehow as somebody who's not easy to work with. You know, Cindy Morgan did do a couple of things. I mean, she was she was the, one of the stars of Tron, which came out a couple of years later. Right. And she did have a career. You know, she worked in television um, quite a bit in the 80s and 90s. But you could make the case that she should have or could have had a much bigger career but I'm going to make the case. I think she should have had a bigger career. And yeah. John Peters was really powerful back then. So he was. That uh, that was a bummer story. Casting what ifs. Did you know who the other final candidate for Danny was before Michael O'Keefe got it? I sure do. Can we talk about this? Yeah. Mickey, Mickey Rourke. Rourke. Incredible. So that's a different movie. Well, correctly, they decided that he wasn't funny enough. <laughs> yeah. Not yeah. that Michael O'Keefe was hilarious, but he could at least be in the vicinity of comedy without it being weird. And I think well, it was the right call. What do you think of Michael O'Keefe in the movie? What do you think of Danny? I love his golf swing. <laughs> and I actually think he's really good in this movie. He's good. I yeah, agree. I don't think he needs, I don't think you need anything more from that part than what he does. He's on screen with Chevy Chase, with Chevy Chase when he's holding like the orb of power. This is as funny as Chevy's ever going to be. And Danny can hang with him. You know, he's not right. getting blown off the screen. You're interested in Danny, his character, where his character is going. That opening scene, you take drugs, Danny, every day. Good. Like, that is, those are some of the most memorable moments of the movie. So I think they did right. Mickey Rourke, though, I just want to see what it would have been like for Mickey Rourke to be on a film set with the cocaine machines at that time. Like, that would have been, that would have been intense. Would have been ugly. Danny Noonan also is really good in this scene when uh, Judge Smales tries to kill him with the golf club. <laughs> yeah. And that Smales, seems great. It really seems the, like he's trying to hit him. It's really well choreographed when he knocks the yeah. bedpost out. You know, it's pretty intense. And then he ends up in the bathroom, the whole thing. It's really good. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer. My beloved Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. yeah. One of my Look favorites. Out. I'll watch every Michelle Pfeiffer movie. Turned down the role of Lacey Underall because she didn't want to get naked. Not shocking. If she's in this movie and maybe just that you don't have to have the topless scene with her or whatever, that would be, imagine that if Michelle Pfeiffer was in Caddyshack. And I think she could have pulled it off. I, I can't imagine her being um, as frisky as, as uh, Lacey was in this movie. She's never really played a character like that, but uh, she's So let's try to too. picture Michelle Pfeiffer and Mickey Rourke in bed as Danny and Lacey. Instead of yeah, Cindy like Morgan a, and Michael O'Keefe. It's a different movie. It's like an Adrian Lyne erotic thriller. I see that. I think part of the reason Michael O'Keefe 
versus uh, Mickey Rourke is it felt like a stretch for him to get Lacey Underall, which I think is important. Mickey right. Rourke, it would almost seem like he's more competition for Ty Webb. It's true. With Lacey. It's definitely true. It's definitely true. Mickey Rourke was overqualified in that respect. John Peters um, claims that he had Bo Derek for the part of Lacey Underall and Ramis rejected it before she did 10. I guess she was filming 10 at the time or about to film 10 or something. Bo how Derek old, as Lacey Underall is just bizarre. How old is Lacey supposed to be? It's she unclear. like 18? She 26? She 40? I, I always <laughs> assumed she was like 25. Okay. And Danny's 24, 25? Danny's like 18. Let me just say something else about Danny now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. One of the things that um, this movie and that generation of National Lampoon guys get credit for, and this is going to sound weird, and I don't want this to sound too identity politics, but it's a point that's been made over and over again, is that these movies kind of shifted some of the, the center of American comedy away from that traditional Jewish point of view, the sort of the sitcom writers of the, your show of shows, your Sid Caesars, yeah. you know, your Woody Allens. You're all that generation of 50s and 60s comedy writers were largely Jewish and they were obviously hugely successful. Um, and this is like a basically an Irish Catholic bunch of people making right. comedies. And Danny's family is an Irish Catholic family. It's a house with eight kids in it, you know, loosely right. based on the Murray family. And it's weird to say like we'd never really seen this before because we've definitely seen plenty of Irish Catholic families. But in this version of comedy, it's kind of a new version of blue collar jokes. And the idea of like 17 year old Danny trying to figure out what to do with his life, whether he should go to college, whether he should get a job, then bagging a 25 year old woman from New York City who is as beautiful and funny as Lacey is the all time like masturbatory fantasy of every 17 year old Irish Catholic kid I have ever, I ever knew growing up. Like it's such a, it's a very specific and unique thing that, that seems obvious now because we've seen it so often since then, because this movie was so, um, it set the template in a lot of ways. That was but, kind of that era though, right? For comedies where it was always the guy kind of out kicking his coverage with whoever yes. The, yes. the hot female was in the movie. Yeah. Um, Don Rickles was originally considered for Al Cervic. Yeah, and you said that he and Rodney had so much in common back then, too, that they were both like Tonight Show icons, but that they weren't really beyond that, like didn't really have an, a mainstream reputation. They were just they were they were club comics. I th I don't I think he's wrong for this movie. He's too mean. There's a meanness yeah. to it that you're you would not be rooting for him. You know, he's almost better off in the Judge Smales role. Um, mm, that's interesting. And then uh, they really wanted Pink Floyd to do the music for this movie and Pink Floyd said no and thank God. Ramis is so weird. Ramis is trying to work in like Zen Buddhism into the movie. He's trying to work Pink Floyd into the movie. His We talked about this with Groundhog Day. His interests as a filmmaker are like very, just left of center enough that you get stuff that is inexplicable in his movies but is ultimately good. It's a good thing though that Kenny Loggins came through instead of Pink Floyd. Everybody loves game shows. Everybody has a podcast. I've got both. Hey everybody, I'm Kyle Brandt, and my new show, 10 Questions, is a game show talk show. Athletes, movie stars, everybody will come on, not just to talk, they come on this show to compete. 10 questions that whether they know it or not, are somehow inspired by a moment in their life or their career. 10 questions, 10 points, so much fun. Head over to Spotify and please subscribe to 10 Questions with Kyle Brandt.
Best that guy, aka the Joey Pants Award. Mm. I still don't know what Dr. Beeper's name is, so he probably wins because he's just, if I see him, he's Dr. Beeper. I have no idea what his real name is or what else he's been in. Has he been in anything else? Um, he's been in a couple of things. So he's the only guy when you look on IMDb who doesn't have a photo next to his name in the whole cast. Uh, his name is Dan Rezin. Uh, he was in The Man with One Red Shoe. You remember that Tom Hanks movie? Not good. Not great. Uh, maybe that should be one of our rules for the that guy award. If you don't have a picture on IMDb, maybe that should be. You have to win. A, you have to qualify. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I had as the winner though Denunzio, um, aka Scott Colombo, because he was also that guy from Porky's. He yes. had a key part in Porky's, and Porky's a movie that nobody has talked about in 15 years, but was a huge 80s, 90s rewatchable movie. Eventually faded away, but he was basically. The guy from Porky's and the guy from Caddyshack, and then that was it. He was never really seen again. Yeah, it's so, weird that he's he's his name's Tony Denunzio in Caddyshack, and his name's Brian Schwartz in Porky's. Well, he's the one they do. Uh, he, everyone, uh, there's another character in Porky's who's an anti-Semite, and he ends up fighting yeah. with that guy the whole movie. Yeah, it's he plays like the uh, Italian American archetype in Caddyshack, and he plays the Jewish American archetype in Porky's. He's got range. I'm giving him the award. The Vincent Hanna Give Me All You Got Award for overacting obviously has to be Maggie. Making it up. All right, well, I'm still willing to marry you. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, thanks for nothing. Well, thanks for nothing. Are we sure it's not Rodney? No. Rodney it's, it's, is. It's got to be Maggie. Smales? No. Smales is perfect. We can't insult Smales. <laughs> is it an insult, though? I mean, I feel like he's no. just going for it. Maggie dials it up. Okay. I, I don't know what movie Maggie's in, but it's it's not this one. What about the bishop? There's a case for it. He's literally calling out to God, and then he loses his faith and is distraught in the bar, as you pointed out. <laughs> it's solid. He's a good runner-up. The Brandy Booth <laughs> Award for Best Performance by a Pet. The Gopher, zero out of ten. <laughs> No Chewies? No Chewies at all for the gopher. An incredible Dion Waiters award. So the, we have nominees. None of these people won. Dr. Beeper, the Bishop, Wang, Lou the Caddy Master, um, the attendant whose name I don't know. We mentioned him earlier. He's the one, one uh, fucking up Ted Knight's golf shoes and running the bets on Spalding Smales. The winner for me in a runaway is Spalding Smales. I every moment he's in this movie fucking kills me. He only has a couple lines. He is just the classic awful rich kid who is the kid who drinks the half drinks, who has the bad pot on him, who says you don't even know how high you are, uh, who just sucks in every way. And I was so happy to see that person in a movie. I happen to have gone to high school with a couple of Spalding Spales in my day. And uh I, I just am so delighted by him. Every moment he's in the movie, I love. He has the Ahoy Polloi line too, right? Spalding? Well, he also has, when Ted Knight's playing, when we see him playing golf initially, you see Spalding behind him, <laughs> hacking it up like, farts! Yes. Double farts! <laughs> I, <laughs> he, That's one just, of the funniest things in the movie. He plays eight minutes and he has 20 points. So, so Bill, uh, Spalding Smales' real name is John F. Barman Jr. I'm going to read you his entire IMDb. You ready? Can't in wait. 19, in 1980, he appears as Spalding Smales in Caddyshack. And then he has appeared in two films as himself, 
Handicapped, a documentary about bad golf from 2009, and Caddyshack, the inside story from 2009. And that is it. I, I'm going to go a step further. Became a realtor and lived in Boston. Oh. Yeah. Wow. He's okay. a real estate guy, or he became good a real for, estate good guy. Good for Spalding. Yeah. Recasting couch, Dr. Beeper. So I'm going to throw uh, Rob, Robert Wagner. Wow. I feel like Robert Wagner was supposed to be Dr. Beeper and like 10, 10 minutes before they started filming, he canceled and they had to grab the dude they grabbed. Huh. That's that's definitely a heat check. Um, I was just trying to look at what that is in the timeline of his marriage to Natalie Wood just to get- just Natalie, Wood's he, Natalie Wood's still alive. She hasn't mysteriously died yet. Got it. Got it. Yeah. She he hasn't done heart to heart yet either. I see. Okay. Yeah, that's good. I like Robert because Wagner. now if you're making Caddyshack even 15 years later, Doctor Beeper is Rob Lowe. Oh, 100. percent Yeah. From like 1993 on, he's Rob Lowe. Although, I mean, God, it feels like Rob Lowe could be Smales at this point. Isn't uh, Rob Lowe in a way is like he kind of hits on some of that quality that you're talking about? Who's the actor from a sitcom? I feel like a new generation of people know Rob Lowe from like Parks and Rec more than Smale. they know him from About Last Night or something. Oh, like that's that. a good call. I like that. Have fast internet research. Film was inspired by writer and co-star Brian Doyle Murray's memories of working as a caddy in Winneka at the Indian Hill Club, where his brothers also uh, worked. And Harold Ramis also worked as a caddy. Mm. So a lot of the Caddyshack characters based on people they experienced when they uh, caddied. Film was shot for 11 weeks in 1979. Filmed in Florida, the golf scenes. Carl Spack are not in early drafts of the script. As you mentioned earlier, it was a love triangle with Danny, Maggie, and Denunzio, which sounds terrible. Awful. Did you know that Lacey Underall's dive, they stunt doubled it at the last second? It's the stunt double who actually does the dive. Huh. Somehow never caught that over the last 40 years. Cindy Morgan uh, had contacts, and if she took her contacts out, she couldn't see, so she couldn't do the dive, so they had to stunt double it. Over under uh, 200 times you've paused Caddyshack during uh, certain Lacey Underall scenes, Bill. Certain Lacey Underall scenes? Under. My, um, Mike O'Keefe wouldn't play golf for 25 years after the film came out. Oh, yeah. Said, he didn't like people talking at him on the golf course, right? Yeah. Said it was too, every time he was out, it was just, he just couldn't enjoy it. Everybody would be peering, watching him, judging him, all that stuff. Can, can I ask you a Michael O'Keefe question? Yeah. Where does he rank in the history of great sports movie actors because I have got, that he's... coming I have that coming later great you know what I have coming right now Scott Columbia and Cindy Morgan dated for two years after this movie so Denunzio, Denunzio went won. in real life yeah he went in real life and then there's a deleted scene on YouTube where Carl teaches Ty Webb how to hit a ball with Danny Cadane that's just fucking weird and it's a classic deleted scenes are deleted for a reason thing but if you want to watch another scene with uh, with Carl and Ty. There you go. Apex Mountain. Michael O'Keefe? Mm, I would say, I mean, it has to be, right? Because he's coming yeah. right off of The Great Santini and he's starring in the funniest movie of the year. By the way, The Great Santini is a really good movie. Excellent and movie. Robert he's Duvall. really good in it. And the basketball scene with him and Robert Duvall is the legendary scene in the movie, but he's really good in that movie. So, you know, it's like him and Tim Hutton in 1980 were like the two young actors to watch. And then, all of a sudden, Sean Penn and this whole class comes after them that eclipses them. Rodney Dangerfield at Apex Mountain? Um, I, 
I would probably say more like mid 80s and back to school when he became a, a draw himself. You know, he he was the draw to those movies. So that was my answer as well. Back to school, which is a hilarious movie. Great movie. And he also has the Rodney Dangerfield comedy specials on HBO. And he's breaking dudes like Sam Kinison and Bill Maher and people that I'd never seen before until they're in those specials. So the combo that I would say, yes. Ted Knight, it's funny. Career-wise, no. Because Mary Tyler Moore is his apex mountain. But I think retroactively, I think this became his legacy because who the hell watches Mary Tyler Moore? Nobody under 40 is going to watch that. So mm-hmm. this is the kind of the thing that that uh, outlived him in a lot of ways. I just want to say, I love Too Close for Comfort. He's basically Judge Smales with two hot daughters in that movie. Um, and just trying to foil... Uh, all these guys coming over trying to date his hot daughters and him just being Judge Males, basically. It's great. It was a good show. I, I don't, God, I probably haven't seen it in. It was on for like two years. Years. I mean, I remember that was a Jim J. Bullock show, right? Yeah. Yeah. Monroe. That's right. Monroe. Uh, Chevy Chase, Apex Mountain. I'm going to say no. Did we give it to him for Fletch? I think we did. Yeah. Bill Murray, no. No, but Sin- it's 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 pure. It's so pure. Yeah, everything he does in the movie. He shot the movie six days, and everything he it's did crazy. in those six days is golden. Cindy Morgan, sadly, yes, I think she. I think something yep. better could have happened. Cocaine. <laughs> uh, Here's the case. Here's the case for cocaine. Okay. Nobody, nobody super famous had died yet. Mm-hmm. Nobody, people knew it was bad, but nobody really knew how bad. It led to um, big spurts of creativity for at least a little while before it quickly burned the person's brain and they were never the same. But that hadn't happened yet on the Caddyshack set. It led to all of the disjointed crazy shit in this movie that would never happen now because you would have to be on drugs to come up with half of the things that happen in this movie. And it's probably all downhill right after this for cocaine where people... Probably within a year, like, hey, this stuff's bad. What are we doing? Gotta say, I'm not sure I'm super comfortable identifying this as the apex of of something that has killed millions of people. Well, <laughs> it's not a rewatchables until I make you uncomfortable. <laughs> okay. I'm saying yes, Apex Mountain. I think I, was I don't think along. it ever got better for cocaine. <laughs> I think it, it's downhill from this moment on. I was feeling good about rolling with you through Caddyshack for the last hour. I felt like I wasn't getting uncomfortable. We talked about Lacey. There was nothing weird. And then you you tried to oh, give me time. Put, put cocaine on a mountain. I don't know about that. Baby Ruth bars. Mm. I would say Goonies. Fair. Golf. Golf. The so, sport of golf? Let me let me give you other things that happened <laughs> in 1980. Okay. Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholas wins two majors. Mm-hmm. He wins the U.S. Open and the PGA. Okay. Tom Watson beats him in the British, and the Masters is Seve Ballesteros, who everybody considers to be the next Jack Nicholas. It's like an awesome year of just famous people winning majors and mm. fun tournaments, and at the same time, Caddyshack is happening. That's the case. <sighs> well, that's hard to argue. Greatest. What's Jack at the Open? Is that 86? Yeah, that's 86. The case here is that golf's in a great spot. Um, mm-hmm. Tiger Woods is born at this point. I think this might have been 
Tiger Woods is born? Was he? What I, year was he born? I think this is like Tiger Woods on the Mike Douglas show. When did he go on the... Uh, see, if Tiger Woods was on the Mike Douglas show this year, then this is definitely... So Woods def- was... Mike was born Douglas. in December 30th, 1975. Okay. So he's on the Tiger. Uh, he was on at age two. It was a little earlier than that. Um, oh. Yeah. Um, I'm still. Okay. I, I mean, I, I mean, yes, I guess. Should Give we, me a better we, golf here. Caddyshack. Should, Nicholas went in two majors. Should we call House and, and Nathan to get no. an official just, ruling? I'll just, they'll just agree with me. Okay. Um, picking nits. Why did Spalding throw up in Dr. Beeper's car? Like, what a dick move. Who does that? <laughs> just throw up in a bush. Who leans over a car hood and throws up in a car? Like, what a fucking asshole. I got the impression it was uncontrollable. That the, the, the urge overwhelmed him and he just needed somewhere to put his head. That was Terrible job, man. Okay. Why was Lacey Underall walking the entire course for Judge Smales' first round that we saw? She's just like in the entourage. She's like, do you have anything better to do? I have wondered about this for years. It's inexplicable. It's also, could there be a worse hang than walking with Smales through a golf course? For five hours with him and Dr. Beeper? That sounds like (laughs) the worst time ever. Just go to the Country Club bar and have some martinis. What are you doing? Maybe she was feeling Danny. Maybe she was immediately into Danny and just wanted to get some time with him to see if he he was as interesting this as is, she thought he was. This is the hottest girl that's ever come to their small town. This is like Uma Thurman and beautiful girls showing up. Like she needs to follow around a 17-year-old caddy. I'm saying no. Weird plot. Fair, fair, weird fair plot point. hole. Um, caddy day at the pool. This, as somebody who's a former caddy, like this would never happen. They have caddy days where the caddies can play in the course for four hours, but Using the pool and having the caddies show up like that is just never, ever happening. A um, couple other pool things. Why is the diving board so high at this pool? It's it's basically like an Olympic diving board at, at this weird, at Bushwood Country Club. Why It's 10 feet high. Why? Can't say that's ever struck me before. You have, Are you scared of tall diving boards? I just have never, never if you went to a country club, which I would assume kids would be using the pool, would it be a good idea to have a diving board that's 10 feet high? I'm going to say no. Let me just say uh, right now, I have never been to a country club, so I don't know. Oh, there you go. Lacey Underall shows up. She's wearing a bathing suit and and black high heels. Why? That's a flex. That's a huge flex. I don't know. She's just trying to, she's showing off. She's drawing attention. Another pick and knit. Why was Judge Smales' boat so small? (laughs) <laughs> it was such a shitty boat. He had a, a boat christening party for this boat was like eight by three. Well, I mean, he was a judge. He wasn't a real estate tycoon. Maybe it's all he could afford. Are you boat shaming smales? The boat was eight feet. <laughs> Who has a part? It's a, hey, I can fit two people on this boat. Let's go for a ride. Hold on. We got to have a boat ceremony. Get the fuck so, out of here. So you're saying when I unveil my eight foot boat, you you don't want to be invited to the, the boat ceremony? I, do, I definitely don't want to be invited. Plus, he's a judge. <laughs> he couldn't afford a 20 foot boat. He I can, don't know. What do boats he's go like for, a, Bill? He's a swinging swing dick at Bushwood. <laughs> he lives in a Bushwood, nice neighborhood. You know, you reminded me of something, though. And this is some, from watching the movie so many times. Bushwood, the course looks like a piece of shit. What's up with the grass on that course? The greens. I had that keepers. for picking needs. The, the oh, greens okay. are awful. They're awful. so bumpy. Every putt is like bouncing like there was an earthquake. Um, 
Lacey went from Ty Webb to Danny Noonan in about 12 hours. It was, it was the, you know, late seventies. What are you going to do? This, she was living freely. I respect it. My wife watched it with me this weekend. And when, when Lacey made the leap, my wife looked at me and said, hooker. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, res- I respect her decisions and I'm proud of Lacey. Terrible. Why would the judge in a million years allow Danny to replace Al Cervic during the big $40,000 match? Who well, the fuck would ever do this? Ty kind of grabs the conch there and says, we get to choose the substitute according to whatever made-up rules they had going. And also, Lou is basically the referee of that round, so it was not in Smales' favor. I think Judge would have... He should have known, like, this is bad for us. Now we're playing the guy who just won the caddy tournament and Ty, who's better than me, who shot a 68 a couple of days ago, like, and I, and I have $40,000 in the line. This is not ideal. You're right. It's a, it's a boneheaded move by the judge. You think you have better judge. jurisprudence Dumbass. there. Another pick nits. Ty Webb, who we've established is this unbelievable golfer. He can hit stuff blindfolded, shot a 68. It's just amazing. Just completely gags in the in the big match. It's a fucking gag job. It looked like he was James Harden in the Western Finals. What happened to that guy? I was gonna. One of my questions for you was gonna be: Are we sure Ty Webb is good? Um, he he really he he spit the bit there. It's unimpressive. James he has Harden. to rely on a seventeen year old. Yeah, James Harden. All right, this is the big uh, one. More nitpick: uh, Baby Ruth bars don't float in real life. If you drop a Baby Ruth bar in a pool, it just drops to the bottom. At what point does the chocolate start melting off of the candy bar? That's the other thing. I would thing, think it would they... get hard, right? Oh, well, oh maybe, maybe. Because it's in the water, I think it would like solidify. All right, here's the big nitpick. I covered this in a column a million years ago. So, and this is, people are confused by this, right? The match is all even in the 18th hole, the big match, $40,000. So the question is, why did the judge agree to double or nothing? Here's the setup. Dr. Beeper, he misses his par. Um, Ty Webb chokes because he's James Harden. The judge pulls out Billy Baru, makes a birdie. So now Danny needs to make the putt to have the hole and salvage a tie for the match. If he misses it, they lose the match. So Al Cervix says to Judge Smales, double or nothing, he makes it. Judge accepts. At that point, the judge can't lose money until he takes that bet. Because if Danny halves the hole, it's just a it's just a wash. Nobody wins anything. But now he potentially loses $80,000 if Danny makes it or $80,000 if he wins. So basically he sacrifices, in one scenario, I either win $40,000 or nothing. In the other scenario, I either win $80,000 or I lose $80,000. Terrible job by the judge. What are you doing? I think if we've learned anything from this podcast, it's that despite your admiration for Ted Knight, Judge Smales is trash. He's, he's just, just a he's, dumbass. He's a moron. He doesn't know what size boat to buy. He doesn't know how to gamble on a golf course. You know, he doesn't know how to keep the bishop interested in his goings on. He's a, he's a failure. His his niece is just running around. The the uh, on the flip side, incredibly savvy move by Al Cervic. He's oh, yeah. either going to lose 40 grand or break even. He risks an extra 40 grand 
to win 80 grand. He basically gets two to one odds on the Danny Noonan putt, which the judge doesn't realize because he's a schmuck. And Al Cervic flips around. That's why, you know, he's owns the uh, property in China on the good side. Like he knows the shit. You know, in 2020, though, Al Cervic would not be the hero of a movie. You know, real estate tycoon who's putting no, no, up no. A, a giant high rise next to a golf course is not. Yeah, that's he would a good not point. be your hero. That should have been a what's age worse. Um, best quote. We named basically all of them. I do enjoy Moose Rocco helped the judge find his checkbook, but we covered all the rest of them. Could this be remade as a 10 episode Netflix show? Fuck off. Um, I have a lot of unanswerable questions. Who do you think carried more bags? Or I'm sorry. Who do you think carried more clubs in their bag? Judge Smales or Al Cervic? Um, and we know for hmm. a fact, Smale, we know for a fact both of them had two putters in their bags. You're only allowed 15 max. I think both of them were over the limit, basically. It's a great question. I would say Smales, because Smales strikes me as the kind of guy who thinks it's really important to have a, f- a four iron and a five iron and a three wood and a four wood and a five wood. And a seven and, wood and a nine wood. Yes. And that's those guys are the worst. You know, you got to know what to take out of your bag. That's a big part of golf. Make sure you don't hit too many clubs you don't know how to hit. And Smales, yeah. as we know, you know, he's mediocre. So I'm, I'm going Smales, despite the size of Cervix bag. Greatest sports movie put ever. Whoa. Happy, Gil- Happy Gilmore to finally win the title. Or Danny Noonan winning the caddy tournament as everyone around him is screaming Noonan, Noonan and yelling at him and trying to distract him. And he still drains like a 20-footer on a green that is so bumpy because Carl the Idiot uh, Gardner guy, you know, can't like doesn't know how to even fix one green. I, I think that putt was incredible. I'm very partial to the the whole final hole sequence on Tin Cup, though, including the putt at the end. Okay. That, that's that's a personal favorite of mine. Do you think this movie created the word poontang? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> you tell me. Can make a case it did. I, I thought about Apex Mountain for poontang, but I thought you'd get uncomfortable. <laughs> Appreciate you sparing me that one. <laughs> Rodney Dangerfield. What the fuck happened? How do, we, how do I explain this to my kids? He does Caddyshack and Back to School, which are two icons. And then he made Ladybugs. Yeah, not Ladybugs has not aged well, but let me tell you something. I have seen Ladybugs a lot. For my generation, Ladybugs was in the HBO Rotation Hall of Fame. It was on every goddamn day, and every kid my age was completely head over heels in love with Vanessa Shaw from Ladybugs. Interesting. Yeah. She was the Cindy Morgan of my generation in a lot of ways. I loved riding Dangerfield. He was in um he was in a couple of other things. I mean, he was really, really famous. He had there was an animated movie called Rover Dangerfield that was, you know, him. Like he was a big deal in the 80s. He was ever present. Another unanswerable question. Is this a better movie if in the first scene the gopher is in Maggie's car and then Carl the Gardener just blows both of them up? Better movie or worse movie? Um, I, I can't support blowing Maggie up. That's just not. That's not, not it's a movie. <laughs> he's just uncalled for. She's just, a casualty. She, just, he's trying to kill the gopher and Maggie's an un, unexpected. Maybe she just goes to the hospital. Maybe she's I, gone for a couple months. 
Uh, well, it's it's true. I, I guess I, I accidentally thought that the bishop had been murdered by the lightning. So right. I guess maybe if it was a similar situation, she comes back acceptable. later. She's got her sure, arm yeah. in a sling. She's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you mentioned this earlier. Where does Michael O'Keefe rank among the great actor athletes? Such a great swing. Like, really looks like he could have just gone to the tour. I, I'm personally offended he wasn't in Tin Cup. Yeah, he could have been good. Well, I mean, Tin Cup is perfectly cast. Costner and, and Don Johnson are perfect. There's some way to weave him in. He should have yeah, just he, been in all golf movies from that point on. But but you, O'Keefe's run is iconic. So Great Santini, you mentioned the basketball scene. Very memorable sports scene. Caddyshack. Then he's in Split Image in 82, where he plays in a... I think he's a gymnast in that movie. And then a few years later, he's in The Slugger's Wife as a baseball player. That's like six years. He's... That's some of the best work ever. And in classic Atlanta sports fashion, that movie bombed. Oh, wow. Tough beat. I just... I threw that in there just to see if Rembert Brown was listening. Um, <laughs> so do they still sell baby Ruth bars? I have this as an unanswerable question, even though I could probably look at this on Amazon. Did the company go under after the duty scene? Did the duty scene ruin the baby Ruth bar? Who manufactures baby Ruth? Is it Nestle? I don't even know. I thought it was Nestle, yeah. But it says I'll yeah, tell you this. Pre- it was Nestle for a time, yeah. Baby Ruth was and whatchamacallit, thousand there are all these bars back then that just kind of faded away, and I don't know what happened to a lot of them. Can I share something personal with you, Bill? Yeah. You not a fan bars? of not a fan of chocolate, especially candy bars. It's just okay. not my thing. More of a sour candy kind of guy. Maybe you'll have an answer for this one. How do we never have a Caddyshack video game? What happened? Where did we go wrong? Oh. Why wasn't Golden Tee Caddyshack? Why That's wasn't PGA call. Tour 93 Caddyshack? Why wasn't oh. there an arcade game? Why wasn't there a pinball game? Wait, how did we miss the boat on all Caddyshack video game stuff? Bill, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time for us to develop it 40 years later. You know, you can play as Noonan, you can play as Denunzio, you can play as Smales, you can play as Cervic. There's a lot of options here. Ty Webb, what's their player scores? Can you get a I would can play you get an snails. opal card to play as Lou? You know, like <laughs> there's a lot of options here. <laughs> it's terrible. I don't know what they're thinking. Um, all right, who won the movie? So I have thought about this a lot. And I'm I'm saying Bill Murray because it's a personal choice. I don't even know if it's objectively defensible. But what he gives me in the movie, the performance and what we take away from it and how it influenced culture is my pick. But I think that there's a strong case for several other people. Who do you think? I think Ted Knight won the movie. Wow. I think Bill Ner- Bill, Bill Murray wins the most out of the movie. Okay. So in a weird way, I don't really know what the answer is, but I think unequivocally Ted Knight wins the movie because he has the hardest part. Everyone else, Dangerfield's just being Dangerfield, Chevy Chase being Chevy Chase. Bill Murray's playing the same guy. With the, like he played that guy in Saturday Night Live. Like they're all mm-hmm. just playing. They brought their one character to the table that they knew how to do. Ted Knight, if that char- if Ted Knight's character doesn't work and if he's not really funny, the whole movie falls apart. I, mean, I have I, to, I, he has to be a villain. He has to make me laugh. He has to kind of not 100% be in on the joke, which I don't feel like he is. Like, I kind of, 
You know, you they have these movies sometimes where there's comedies and the actors don't really totally understand why they're funny in the movie. And I feel like that might be the case with him in some of these scenes. Definitely. I don't know who else would have played him. And that character just has to work. And as I watch the movie, as I get older and older, he's still the one that fucking makes me laugh the most. Huh? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> All that stuff. Like, but I think for who the movie did the most for, I think the answer is Bill Murray because, um, I mean, it led to the Pebble Beach stuff and like he's gotten 40 years of mileage out of this movie. I don't think you could say that about anybody else. Yeah, you know, I thought about with recasting Couch, I never would I never would recast Ted Knight because I know how you feel about him, but I, I do feel like somebody like Harvey Corman could have done this, you know, somebody who is able to do that kind of haughty, over-the-top thing, but... And I, it just becomes sillier if it's the wrong actor. It feels yeah. lesser. Like if it's Mr. Roper from Three's Company, the great Norman Fell. Norman Fell, yeah. One of the one of the greats. Even him, it's like it doesn't feel quite big enough. It's really hard to thread that needle. I think if this movie comes along 15 years later, Ted Danson's probably Judge Smales. But even then, it's like Ted Danson was famous. You know, and I just I think it's so hard to cast that one part. It's incredible that we don't have Chris here to do his uh, Pacino as, as Smale's performance. You know, it's really sad. <laughs> R.I.P. Well, we're waiting, you know. Well. <laughs> uh, uh, I think you yeah. can make the case for Ramus too. I mean, this is Ramus's first directing directed movie, and he goes on to direct five, six total classics. And, you know, Chevy also, like, Ty Webb is iconic. Danny Noonan. Yeah, but Chevy... Chevy forfeits when he comes back for Caddyshack 2, which was an indefensible decision by him. It's not great. There are things I like about 2. I'm sorry. I know you don't, I know you hate it. I, there are some things I like about it. It's just, it's... You're the, trying to hurt me now. What, is it Jackie Mason who replaces Rodney? That's really weird. I like that you, you downed me for the <laughs> cocaine being on Apex Mountain. And yet you just said you like Caddyshack too, which is like the meanest thing I think anyone's ever said. There are things about it I like. That's Jackie Mason say. is just reprehensible in that movie. He's so <laughs> terrible. He's so, so awful. He's, there was he's a no story Rodney. recently. Somebody wrote a story about Caddyshack too. I read it on a, I can't remember where I read it, maybe a month ago and talking about why that movie was such a giant failure. And apparently Dangerfield, um, was they really wanted to be in it and he just, they couldn't agree to a contract with them. They'd already agreed to give Chevy a crazy amount of money to be in like five minutes of it. And it just kind of fell apart from there, but it's really bad. There's great uh, Robert Stack in Caddyshack too. Stack really going for it post airplane. Uh, but it, you're, you're right. It's not good. I'm not going to defend it. I can't, I can't defend it. This was a fun time with comedies where they took people who nobody had seen in a comedy thing. Like Ted Knight had been in Mary Tyler Moore, so it wasn't surprising. But there were like the Robert Stack. Leslie Nielsen was another one. Leslie Nielsen oh, yeah. was just like, you know, the detective or the bad guy in a whole bunch of 70s things. And to see him in The Naked Gun and the TV series was unusual. Um, all right, so I say Ted Knight. We, you know, we don't really do this, but I would almost want to see a poll on this. We might have to have the rewatchables Twitter feed as much as I hate Twitter. Um who have won? a rewatchable's Twitter feed do uh, who who won the movie between Ted Knight, Bill Murray, Rodney Dangerfield, Chevy Chase, Harold Ramis. Yeah, gosh, it's a tough one. Can you even do five people in a 
Twitter poll? I'd probably bump Chase because I don't think anyone thinks Chevy Chase won Caddyshack. No, but he has like so many of the best lines from the movie. You know, it's, uh, gosh, I don't know. Don't sell yourself short, Judge. You're a tremendous slouch. I mean, come on. (laughs) My dad never liked you. (laughs) (laughs) Ty Webb is is iconic. All right, maybe Uh, we'll do that. Maybe we'll put the four. We'll put... We'll put Knight, Dangerfield, Chase, and Murray. Who won the movie? I I just love Bill, Midnight. Bill, a flute without holes is not a flute. A donut without a hole is a Danish. Don't forget that. That's Basho, the Japanese poet. Where's Where's Craig? Craig, you snob. Get out here for a second. Okay. We're glad you like Caddyshack. Yeah, Craig, well, I'm not a snob. Craig, Craig, who who won the movie? You don't have to go to college, Craig. This isn't Russia. Is this Russia? This isn't Russia. Craig, who I do drugs movie? every day. Uh, so I wanted to think about it. Before you guys answered, I wanted to come up with my own opinion. And I chose Ted Knight. What? Wow. Brown yeah. knows him, Craig. Brown knows it. I swear to God, I would have said whoever I thought it was. I just think when I think back on the movie, I think about, well, we're waiting. And I just think about him more than anybody else. Wow. That's Twitter's uh, influence. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. We're going to put that uh, rewatchables. Uh, pull up on the rewatchables Twitter feed, which you should all find. So there you go. This was fun. Caddyshack. Craig, we finally did one you liked. Well, yes. Liz did not like it, but I did. <laughs> well, coming up Wednesday, movie Craig def- definitely didn't like. Pump up the volume. I've never seen it. I can assure you Liz won't like it. <laughs> I don't know, but there's oh. a specific reason we're doing pump up the volume. It is a, definitely a one for us. It's 30 year anniversary, but there's a specific reason. So tune in Wednesday to find out why we chose that one. Sean Fantasy. A pleasure as always. Craig, we can hear you on the Fantasy Football Podcast. Mm-hmm. How's that going? Are people mad at you about your fantasy picks like every day now? No, we got to wait till the season for that when things don't pan out, but we'll see. Okay. Don't All trust right. Craig any tr- time he tries to rep for a Pittsburgh Steeler. That's something I've learned. Not to be trusted on his Steeler takes. James Conner, good pick this year. There you go. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Wednesday. 